Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my best friend and co-host. Oh, hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. That was a very nice introduction. Well, BFFs, man. BFFs forever. BFFs are forever. Yeah, and and today we get to talk about things that are not so uh, depressing. No, I mean, they're actually kind of depressing towards the end, but like, you know... this is not, not like nearly as depressing as last week or the Decker trial coverage, so. No, this is just crazy. This um, is, yeah, this is just some classic, wow, fundies are weird material, which I'm, I'm very happy to be doing. Yes, yes, yes. But before we get into that, uh, I just need to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. We are the show about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present danger that cults and cult-like ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of 
religion. So if you like our show, you are a fan of our show, what you can do is you can join our Patreon and that's patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast where you get uh, access to extended and uncensored episodes of our show, which is super fun. Um, We try to do nice things for our patrons, which is cool. You can share this show uh, with your family and your friends. If you're a new listener, you can... um, what I'd recommend is that you go back and you check out episode 57, which is our primer for new listeners, or you can go back to the beginning of the show and start at the beginning of the show if you want. That's cool too. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Anything else? Anything I'm forgetting? No, I don't think so. Unless you want to announce what we're doing through the end of the year before you thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Why don't you announce what we're doing to, uh, through the end of the year? Okay, so we are going to be taking uh, the week after this episode, so December 20th, we're going to be taking that week off for uh, the holidays, but we will return on Monday the 27th with a very fun episode for the end of your year. Uh, we are going to be talking about the watch night service. We'll have some games to play on air. It's going to be a really, really fun time. And you guys can play along with us. It'll be it'll Yeah, be I'm, I'm working on planning out the games right now. Uh, I'm finding things that we can all do uh, virtually together. Before we get into our episode, I want to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, which is uh, Emery Fairlosser, Jessica Tambo, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, uh, Ruthie, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much for uh, joining our Faith Promise Missions tier Patreon. And now, uh, Sadie. Yes. What? Yeah, when I was a kid, I was a big comic book nerd, okay? Does that surprise you? Does that surprise anybody? No, that does, certainly doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I had Spider-Man, I had Superman, uh, I, I had X-Men, I had Incredible Hulk, loved reading comic books. And one thing that I was sort of thinking of is that Fundy World is kind of similar to comic book world. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, so you know how in are, are you a comic book fan? Do you read comic books? Um, not really. I had some very old, like nineteen fifties Donald Duck type comic books when I was a kid, uh, but I never really got into superhero comics. So in superhero comics, one of the things is like if there's a character, you know, the character will be like you know somebody who's a hero. They'll they'll have like a special like supernatural ability probably, but also behind that they'll also have like be like a top tier person already. Like so, say for instance, uh, Bruce Banner, who's the Hulk, also happens to be a brilliant scientist. And like, you know, when when all of the comic book heroes are like, we need somebody to help figure out this scientific formula, who is it that they're going to call? They're not just going to call like some scientists if they know they're going to call Bruce Banner, who is like the one guy. And that sort of made me think of like how in Fundy Worlds, you know, there's always like that one guy that you're going to call, you know, like how they would have their uh, Tom Kimmel for money or they would have their. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you know no you're saying? not wrong. I mean, there's also a lot of black and white, like good versus evil in comic books, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but that is a thing that the Fundy World does. Um, either you're a good person and you have never done anything wrong in your life, except for you had to like tell one lie when you were a kid or something so that you have a sin so that Jesus could save you, uh, or you're the worst person ever and everything you do is evil. Wow. There's not a lot of room for gray area in there. The Wolf Fundies are notorious for there being no gray area on anything ever at all. It's sinful yeah. or it's not sinful, period. Hmm. Um, and I think comic books show a lot of that as well. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about is that like, if you wanted to take Fundy World 
and make it into a comic book, I think that would work fairly well. And it just so happens that someone did that. Oh, man. So who are we talking about today? So we've talked about Jack Chick before. He's the illustrator who made all of those little Chick tracts. Even if you've never been funny, you've probably seen these things in the wild. Uh, They get left at grocery stores and bus stops and that sort of thing. They're like tiny comic books. A little bit bigger than a business card or a credit card, but not much bigger than that. And it's got about 20 pages in it. And it's a story through cartoons that somehow relates to getting saved. Um, Most of them are about getting saved. Some of them will be about the rapture or Satanism or the one that we talked about when we did our first episode on this guy uh, where an old Jewish man saw a protest happen and then found out that Jesus was the Messiah. Sorry, Gabby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you want to if you want to listen to that one uh that is episode 34 uh which is called jack chick's bathroom reading material that one was a so. riot it was a great episode um i hope this one's as good i think this it should be well i think this one will be and i think this one is maybe going to start off a little bit of a of a recurring uh series we may come back and do some more of this in a couple months <laughs> Yeah, if you like this sort of thing, please let us know. Yeah, let us know if this is fun for you, because this this was so much fun for us uh, to prepare for. So Jack Chick not only made all of these little How to Get Saved books, he also made full-size, full-color comic books. And I think that a lot of people are super aware of the little tracts uh, that have the salvation message, but I think people are not as aware of the full-size comic books, Um, at least people who didn't grow up fundy. Well, I had these comic books growing up. Was everybody, did everyone have them? No. I don't remember everybody having them. I think most, the perception that I get is that maybe people, like all fundy kids in the 70s and 80s had them. But I was in a 70s and 80s fundy kid. I was a late 90s fundy kid. Oh, so this is like, oh, well, your your uncle gave you his comic book collection. Um, right. That he had when he so was, my, okay. my dad happened to have these from like back in the day. And he thought it would be fun to let me read them. I mean, you've still got them. No, I don't know where my original copies went. I've been buying them on eBay (laughs) 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 to add to my ever-growing collection of fundy materials. Oh, while I'm on the topic, I should probably say thank you to our listeners who have been sending me things. Uh, I've been getting presents every every so often from people. I've gotten a, a Becca biology textbook from Morgan. I've gotten materials from Stephen Anderson's church. Uh, I have some books that are on the way, like a, a Cindy Scott book that's on the way. Yeah, I've been, I've been getting lots of presents. Oh, one of our listeners sent us the ATI basics or advanced seminar manual. Yeah, early next year, I think, is when we're actually going to do an episode. We're actually going to talk about... I've been reading. I've been flipping that. through that it. and... There is some... Have you triggered yourself? No, because I was... <laughs> no, it... there's just some wild stuff in that book. Um, like, you think, like, you think, like, the the family period calendar in the kitchen is weird you have you've not heard anything i am so excited i am unbelievably excited Um, for this so anyway (laughs) thank you for listeners who've been sending me presents to add to to add in with my chick comic books that i buy on ebay to build my cult propaganda collection it's getting big enough that jonathan's moderately annoyed which means we're doing our job (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but so uh, these comics, these are um we've talked about the Satanic Panic uh the past few weeks uh before we had that uh that true crime episode we did last week, but we've talked about the Satanic these comic books, these are basically artifacts of the Satanic Panic. That's what the, that's where these came from. Yes, and they they really illustrate I think it's it's a I think they're important because they illustrate where the minds of fundies were at at the time. So these comic books were published starting in the early 70s. I think the first one came out in 72, 73. And I think it's a neat time capsule of where, what the common myths were and what the word on the street was among fundies at the time. Because these are ideas that were, or these were stories that were, you know, maybe in the early 70s or whatever, they were a bit more niche. But then in the 80s, when the satanic panic really hit the fan, they became much more mainstream. Right. I I think it's really interesting. Well, we're going to get it. Let's talk about the first comic first, and then let's go talk about issue two, which is the Satanic Panic one. Because I think it's very interesting that these were published in the 70s, and they contain some narratives that we associate more with the 80s and 90s. I I think it's really, that's really... um, historically interesting and just to let everybody know we've uh we know that you can't see the comics right now but we've put some of the uh of like the panels from them up on our instagram so you can go to our instagram and check them out and you can see what we're talking about but we'll try to give you a good idea of what what's actually going on here because we know that you can't see them yet so what's the first one that we're going to look at so the first one is uh operation bucharest is that right? Is that how you say that city? I thought it's Bucharest. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Cult education. <laughs> so Bucharest. I was I was wondering oh, if Buchanan. you would tell us what the plot is, and we sure. can kind of let's let's go through the plot, and then we'll talk about what's in there. So the setting: Christians are being persecuted in communist Romania, which is actually true. That actually happened under Ceausescu's regime, but Christianity wasn't outlawed. It was just like repressed in the marxist leninist desire to create like a perfect atheistic state but it didn't get to the point as they're showing in this comic of um possession of a bible being an imprisonable offense that being said this is an extreme marxist state uh romania in the 70s so if they wanted to lock you up for something they'd lock you up for something and if they wanted to disappear you you'd never be seen again and there wouldn't be any repercussions that's the backdrop Christians persecuted in Romania. Right. So it starts with a story about a house church that is raided because somebody rats them out and the all the members of the house church are taken to prison and all their Bibles are taken away. Hmm. And then it introduces the backstories of the heroes of these comic books, the Christian James Bond duo, Jim and Tim. Jim and Tim. Those are the names of heroes, if I've ever heard them. I... You know, so here we have Timothy Emerson Clark, who is an ex-Green Beret and hero of the Vietnam War who slew many Viet Cong, but was betrayed by an information leak and rescued by a Vietnamese Christian who had been reached by missionaries and was able to save his life and his soul by converting him to Christianity. Then... We have James Carter, a.k.a. Big Jim Carter, who is a former drug pusher and Black Panther who walked basically right out of a black exploitation film. Um, so I, much. 
yeah like i think that when jack chick was designing this character he like like if you look at him it he literally just drew richard roundtree who played shaft yeah and he's just like yep yeah, this is my guy if you're not um super familiar with black exploitation films if you know the song leroy brown by jim croce this guy is portrayed exactly like if you drew leroy brown is he's like about to call somebody a jive turkey that's like <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's the level we're talking it's so 70s right so uh, uh oh so so how did how did jim how, how did he become one of the james bond jesus duo one day big jim was out being a bad mother you have to say shut your mouth oh, shut your mouth no uh, anyway one day jim was out being a bad mother shut your mouth but i'm talking about jim uh then we can dig it <laughs> And the preacher walks up on him and tells him about Jesus, and he threatens the preacher for telling him about Jesus, I guess. But then the preacher is able to convince him to get saved, and I guess he stops being a drug dealer and black militant and becomes a servant of the Lord instead. Uh, That note about the convincing him to get saved part, the preacher convinces him to get saved by literally just telling him the gospel. The quote from Jim is, Man, that's out of sight. Why didn't someone tell me this before? This guy's saying literally nobody's ever told him about Jesus before. Right. He's he's a black man living in uh, America in the 70s, 60s. Like he like he didn't nobody he, that he knew went to church growing up. Like no one. Uh, apparently this is all just news to Jim. Well, it, they do call it the good news. You know, that's that's kinda... true. That's true. These guys are sent on a secret mission to deliver a microfilm of the Bible to communist Romania so they can produce underground black market Bibles. And at the airport on their way to Bucharest, they encounter secret communist agent Gertrude Levitz, who for some reason knows about Jim and Tim just because I guess they're notoriously Christian and knows that they the only reason why they would be going to Bucharest is because they're on a secret mission for Jesus. Uh, Gertrude actually so she works at the passport office is what I got out of that. But anyway wherever she works she knows about Tim because he is apparently the nephew of the U.S. ambassador to France. So he hasn't done any secret spy missions for Jesus yet that we know of. As far as we know this is his first uh, secret spy mission for Jesus. But I initially read it as Gertrude knows that he's going to try to smuggle a Bible. But after I looked back at the comic, I think she's just after him for political reasons Hmm. because of who his uncle is. That seems wild that she is just like, here's a guy with the same last name. This guy, what's this guy's last name? This guy's last name is Clark. Do you know how many people's last name is Clark? Like how did like. Went to school with a kid with the last name of Clark. That's, I I don't know. This, This seems like. A bit of a stretch. But anyway, she says, this will make big waves on the international scene. Um, So Jack <laughs> Chick doesn't straight up call her a globalist, but like, you know, but also. <laughs> yeah, I should add, um, because you guys can't see the picture. I'll put the picture on the Instagram. Gertrude Levitz is a horrible anti-Semitic caricature. Like she looks like a 4chan meme. She isn't quite hand wringing over a bag of gold coins, but I could definitely see her popping back up later and drinking some baby's blood. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, they, like they literally they called her Gertrude Levitz. They're like, this woman is a Jew. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Yeah. So since this is the first chick comic, we get through the first 17 pages with just a little bit of racism and some very generalized fear-mongering about communism. He doesn't hit us with the anti-Semitism like until page 17. The other ones start off much faster. Right. And and don't worry, this one's, this one's going to get much worse as the series goes on. He was just easing us into <laughs> this comic. I just want to say the pacing of this comic, this is something that we'll bring up later, that like the first 17 pages, f***ing nothing happens. The first 17 pages, it, I, I don't want to say nothing happens, but like it takes 17 pages before they're actually on the mission. So that's kind of how it's going. But I also want to say the whole uh, communism, Satanism thing, that's something that you brought up when you were talking about the Satanic Panic early, I think, in the first Satanic Panic episode, how McCarthyism serves as a precursor to the Satanic Panic. Yes. Um, I think that under McCarthyism, it set a precedent for thinking, well, my neighbor could be a Russian undercover agent. My neighbor could be a sleeper agent. I could be a sleeper agent and I just haven't heard my trigger phrase yet. <laughs> the the idea that that anybody no one is above suspicion especially the way mccarthy attacked household names and well-known celebrities uh, as well as insinuating that anybody could be a spy or a sleeper agent i think that sets the precedent for feeling that no one is above suspicion and evil is all around you and your neighbor or your pastor or your friend could be involved in something huge and something evil and this, so this is in the late 70s um or the mid 70s i don't know when when did this come out 73 this comic was published in either 72 or 73 i have the f i didn't bring it into my studio but i have it on my phone so if you give me a second i'll check it okay uh this comic was published in 1974 Okay. Yeah. So people are still like freaked out about communism, about the Reds. But this this makes me think of something. So a little plot hole here. So my question is, if Tim's uncle is U.S. ambassador to France, then how come Tim ended up in Vietnam? That's a serious question right there. That's a plot hole. Because I don't know. I think because he was a patriotic American citizen who wasn't a draft dodger. Okay. But if you were connected, you didn't go. That's how it was. Or if you did go, you wouldn't be on the ground. Like the most dangerous missions were the ones they'd send you if you were poor or black. If you're well, connected, you wouldn't be doing that. You'd be like an officer or something. I feel like in Jack Chick's world, Tim got offered that kind of sweet deal, but was just like, no, I'm patriotic. Let me go do the most dangerous thing because I am a man. Oh, God. That's that's uh, that's an assumption, but that's what I that's what I think. Yeah, that's in Jack Chick's world, like two beefy dudes trying to deliver a Bible to Romania is cause for the soviets to have a secret war room meeting so yeah but the soviets don't know that they're trying to deliver a bible all they want to do is get tim to do something bad so they can embarrass his uncle and undermine the united states somehow mm -hmm. so should we talk about before we get into the real like the the meat of the second half of this comic can we make a note real quick about the quality of the artwork? Yes. Because I'm, I'm just saying, if this wasn't extreme religious propaganda, the art is visually appealing. The art is very nice, I think. So you didn't you didn't read a lot of comic books growing up, though? No, I saw a lot of superhero television that was much older. So I saw the 1960s Batman, the Christopher Reeves Superman, that sort of thing. 
but we didn't uh, we didn't have a lot of comic books. I had um all I had was the old like 1950s Donald Duck ones, like I told you. One of the things that you kind of get is that a good artist can really make or break a comic book franchise. So what do you think of the art in these comics? Do you agree with me that it's pretty good? I think it's solid. I think Jack Chick really has a definitive style and that style is very eye-catching. Do you think... Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you think the way that the Beefy Jesus Spy Boys are drawn is like the slightest bit homoerotic or is that just like, is that just how comics are drawn? So I read Superman growing up. I read Spider-Man, X-Men, like all all those superheroes, they're drawn beefy as f***. Like Spider-Man was supposed to be, what, 16 in the comics and Peter Parker was like a nerd. He couldn't make the football team, but then he gets bitten by a spider and then like his he's got Spidey sense now and he's just like shredded. I just I get the slightest hint of Tom of Finland vibes from Jack Chick's art. By the way, do not Google that if you have a child looking over your shoulder or if there is any other reason that you're averse to seeing extremely large cartoon dick. I just Googled that while you were telling people not to Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I figured you did pull something like that. Before you said the part about the cartoon <laughs> you weren't kidding. I was... No. no. <laughs> I, was, I, I was not kidding. I kind of see what you're saying here. I don't know. I When I was I a just, kid... I yeah. just think like the, the proportions of the way that Chick draws specifically the BP Boys for Jesus... It has it has a similar vibe. When I was a kid, I loved comic books, as I've said uh, like 80 times this episode, when one of the things that I remember buying at the Scholastic Book Fair was how to draw Marvel superheroes. Like there was an instructional book that I had that was how to draw Marvel superheroes and had instructions. And one of the instructions that it said was that if you want your heroes to look like heroes, you have to make them taller. You have to make them stronger. So there is like a whole section of the of the book that was about how to draw muscles. And they had like one of the things that they did was they're like, here is a picture of the Incredible Hulk and you have to draw all the muscles onto the Incredible Hulk. And they're like, make sure you put all the veins in his arms and like the veins in his chest muscles to make him look extra muscly so that like you know he's super well jack chick was a professional cartoonist before he converted to christianity and started making propaganda he wasn't making superhero comics that i know of but he was i I assume that he was trained in that kind of figure drawing so it does make sense that the beefy jesus spy boys are so beefy what's regarded as the silver age for marvel comics not i guess the the golden age was like the 40s but the silver age was between 1960 and 1970 and this is when you know spider-man fantastic four x-men like legendary franchises were started so that like jack chick is making these comics in the 70s that's probably what he was like in the 60s you know all those great comics that's what he was looking at that's what his inspiration probably would have been that makes that makes a lot of sense so we should jump back into the plot before we go down too deep of a rabbit hole we've been introduced to the main plot got to get the bible into romania Uh, we've met the the beefy boys for jesus we've had our first dose of anti-semitism i think we're ready to get this plot moving so what happens next so this plot uh, is very james bond And by that, I mean, this is the exact plot from the movie From Russia with Love in that they send a Russian femme fatale to tempt him. It's (laughs) pretty similar. Yeah. 
It's- so I haven't, I don't think I've seen From Russia With Love, but I did just see an episode of Mission Impossible with my in-laws. That was all, the the entire point of the episode was about getting a microfilm into a Soviet bloc country. Which is interesting because From Russia With Love came out in 1964, and then Mission Impossible was on from 66 to 73, and then this comic was made in 74. Not that I'm making a specific accusation of plagiarism, I just think that microfilm in Soviet countries were just things that people were very into writing stories about back at the time. So the plot of From Russia with Love is that a Soviet agent is secretly working for Spectre and then she sends a a Russian agent, uh, Tatiana Romanova, to pretend to defect to the British to give James Bond a decoding machine that will uh, uh, help them decode Soviet codes. But then she's supposed to steal the machine and deliver it to Spectre. But along the way, she falls in love with James Bond. Uh, She's literally told, make sure you fall in love with this guy and do whatever his heart desires. So that is pretty much exactly what's going on in this comic. (laughs) I might add, just for the record, I watched this movie when I was like 10, around the same age that I was when I saw uh, Natalie Portman in Attack of the Clones. And let me say, uh, Daniela Bianchi, who is the actress who played Tatiana Romanova in the movie is the stuff that dreams are made of okay number one uh should we be adding her to the approved list of future wives Uh, or are we gonna stick with the people we already have on the list how old is she by now because she was no she was in a movie in like however old she was plus 50 plus 60 daniela bianchi uh, no 1974 was 47 years ago no, I'm talking about, uh, uh, yeah, but From Russia With Love came out in 1963. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. I was looking at the wrong number. Daniela Bianchi was smart. born 1942. <laughs> so she's a bit old for me. She's 79 right now. Just a little bit. She's she, absolute okay. baddie back in the day. Number one. or So that was number one. Number two, it is still weird to me after growing up in purity culture to hear somebody just be just casually be like, oh yeah, this is who I thought was hot in a movie when I was a kid. Watch the movie. I mean, she's, she's. I know that. I know that this may have less power after my rant about Lucian Graves two weeks ago, but <laughs> it, it is still a little bit odd to me. I don't know. Like the thing is that like that movie is like ultimate male fantasy though you know that like that's what a lot of especially the early james bond movies that's all they really were was just ultimate male fantasy is that like you know that these women are just drawn to this to this man and he like it, but he also you know he's he's the coolest he drives the best car he has cool watches and gadgets and he goes on secret missions and beats up the bad guys and he's smarter than everybody and yeah and i do think it's very interesting to see that kind of like secret mission beating up the bad guy thing applied to christianity yes i think that's a really interesting like of course that happened it's not a surprise but i do think it's it's an interesting kind of cultural take but the the difference here is of course that if you have this absolute hottie that's like coming on to you in christian fundy land (laughs) You can't do a Sean Connery and just, like, seduce her. You have to, like, get her saved first, and then you have to get her married to you, and then you can... You know, right, right. That's that's the main difference. Sean Connery did not give a f- He was just, like, out here... Like, you heard it here first. Uh, Sean Connery does not care about the eternal salvation of his love interests. I highly Shame doubt that. I highly doubt that that uh, <laughs> James Bond cares about the 
So so what happened back back to the the comic? The Romanians send somebody to raid Tim's apartment before he leaves on his trip to Romania. And he's surprisingly cool about the fact that somebody broke into his house. I guess super spies for the Lord just kind of expect that to happen at some point. They steal pictures of his ex-girlfriends. And then they make a composite picture. And then speaking of what dreams are made of, they find a Romanian girl who looks like the composite of all of Tim's past girlfriends. A of all, it's very sus of Tim to be keeping pictures of ex-girlfriends. Right? Yeah. I don't have pictures of my exes. Aside from that, I can see some serious flaws with this plan. I still think it's weird that he kept them, though. Yeah. This this is the problem that I have with this. Do you ever have I ever told you why I don't drink spiced rum? No, I don't believe you have. But I uh, I think it's gross unless you happen to have eggnog around. I agree with you um, because one time I had a very bad experience with spiced rum, and now anybody if anybody offers me spiced rum, I will politely refuse. Oh, okay. So like me and tequila sunrises. Exactly. Hundred percent. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm saying that the same thing could be true with Tim and his exes. Maybe the breakup was so bad that he doesn't want anybody who is at all resembling of the person who he used to go out with. I guess the Romanians are just banking on that not being the case. Yeah, they're banking on him having like a very specific type that he always goes for. So they put this girl, Sophia is the girl they find that looks like the composite of all his past girlfriends. And they put her through a training course on how to seduce Americans. And then on the day that Tim and Jim are supposed to land, they set her up so they're supposed to land in Paris before flying or before getting on a train to get to Romania. All right, because you can't fly to Romania because they're, you know, Soviet bloc. Makes oh, sense. is that why? I assume that's why. Like, you're not going to be able to have a connecting flights between uh, between like the West and the, the Soviet bloc countries. Probably. I didn't even like think about why this was anyway. She, they set Sophia up to meet them in Paris, uh, and then she's supposed to, oh, you're going to Romania? So am I. I guess we'll just travel together. So the Soviets threaten, or the, the Romanians threaten Sophia that something bad will happen to her parents if she doesn't get Tim into a compromising position, which on one hand is probably something that Soviet spy leaders would do. But on the other hand, that is that is really heavily playing into the whole narrative of like, Russians bad. So they're putting her through this course to teach her how to seduce Americans. I might just like Sophia is smoke show. She does not need a course to teach her how to seduce Americans. She can literally like ask to bum a cigarette and like they'd be like, oh, what's your name? What's your deal? What's your story? Yeah, that's that's (laughs) true. But for some reason, they need like a super complicated plot for them all to meet up. So the setup is that just as Tim and Jim are walking out of the airport in Paris, Sophia is going to try to get in a cab and another Russian spy is supposed to push past her and fight her for the cab and be like, I called this cab first. Then that guy, so Sophia is going to be like, oh, help me. And Tim and Jim being beefy boys for Jesus are going to step in and try to help her. The other spy who pushed her is supposed to beat up Jim and then Sophia will seduce Tim into helping into like getting in the cab with her because she's so upset over having been pushed by the bad guy. This plan does not work because Jim is uh, (laughs) tougher than anticipated (laughs) and beats up the guy who pushed Sophia. So the Russians plan is already not working super great. Instead, all three of them get into a cab together. 
This plan was very flawed to begin with. I also think it's extremely poor planning on the part of the Russians to send a girl for Tim and not send a girl for Jim. That's true, yeah. I thought that the communists were supposed to be in favor of equitable distribution of hotties. (laughs) You're totally right. With all the recon they did on Tim to make sure they had the perfect girl to get his attention, like they broke into his apartment and made a composite picture of his exes. You'd think that they would have done some basic checking on Jim and found out that he was going to be able to take one Russian spy down with no problem. Yeah. I think sending two girls would have just been more effective. Do you think that maybe Jack Chick was reticent to draw an interracial couple? I think that is, that's what I think, but I don't think it's necessarily because he had a personal problem with interracial couples. I think it's more likely because he knew that if he drew that, it would alienate a large portion of his audience. I mean, but think about it. It's the communists that are supporting the race mixing. So if the... I I think Chick... (sighs) new chick actually does a surprising amount of non-racist things in his comics so i don't know if it was a personal thing i think it was more that he knew his audience wouldn't want to see it and therefore didn't draw it the man knew his audience it's also i think it's very telling regardless of the fact that chick said a lot of things about hey don't be racist in his comics he was also willing to say literally anything about jews catholics muslims atheists and satanists but the one group of people that he didn't want to piss off was the racists so regardless of whether he his personal philosophies were maybe pretty okay it says a lot that that he was willing to piss off anybody but the racists. No, that that makes perfect sense. Anyway, there, there's a speech that Tim and Jim give about how they're brothers because they have the same father, which is God. Right. So there, there he goes again with the with the not being racist stuff. Chick's views on race they're interesting because it was it was pretty solid of him to have half of his beefy beefy boys for Jesus squad be black. And even though he plays into a lot of stereotypes with Jim's backstory and. Jim's language, it's far from the worst thing I've ever seen. Tim even has this very nice speech that he goes on here about people are the same the world over. There's bigotry in every town, village, and neighborhood. And I don't know. Yeah. It's it's like Chick is almost flipping back and forth with his views on race here. He's like, I'm not racist, but <laughs> that's that's how I that's how I would say it. That's how I would characterize it. Yeah. Yeah, I see that, but for the early 70s. I feel like yeah. Chick was doing pretty okay. Um, Which is like the only good thing that we can say about him. Yeah. The thing about Jack <laughs> Chick is he's just like so toxic in pretty much everything he ever wrote that when he gets to the topic of race and he's only like very mildly problematic, that it's kind of a it's kind of a shock to the senses because you expect he is so toxic on every single topic and then it gets to race and he's not great but certainly not as terrible as he is on other things yeah it kind of it kind of makes you do a double take so this woman sophia is trying everything on tim she is going for walks alone with him in the garden she is blinking those startlingly blue eyes at him she's taking him to meet her auntie who is also a secret kgb agent i guess finally she knocks on his bedroom door late at night and says tim i'm lonely why does this Romanian girl have a Southern accent? I don't know. I That's like my damsel in distress accent. So meanwhile, 
while Tim is getting hit on by Sophia, Jim is off playing James Bond and fulfilling the actual plot of this comic by passing the microfilm to the secret Christians. He's got the microfilm in a cigarette, which I will admit is pretty slick. So while Jim delivers the microphone, Tim is making sure that Sophia will never be lonely again. Exactly. (laughs) It literally says that because she goes, Tim, I'm lonely. And then his response is, Sophia, let me show you how you'll never be lonely again. And then I was like, yeah, cue the music, dim the lights. The Soviets are watching from behind a secret double mirror in Tim's hotel room. Kinky. And they like turn on the cameras. They're ready to get the information they need to take his uncle down. So something tells me that Tim is not a big fan of R&B music because all he does is tell her about Jesus so she can get saved. He's like, you'll never be lonely again if you've got Jesus on your side. Yeah, ask Jesus into your heart and you'll never be alone again. So this is literally the third to last panel of the comic. There are 31 pages of setup and then the last four panels, she gets saved, the next panel soviet spy leader reacting to the news that not only did sophia get saved so did the the cameraman behind the double secret mirror uh next panel sophia is saying goodbye to the beefy boy uh her quote is i'm ready to lay down my life for jesus whoa boom last panel and we see her praying in a soviet prison 31 pages of just slow moving plot and then the last four panels just boom 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 story's done so she got saved and became a christian but she didn't decide to leave communist romania and come to america to be tim's perfect housewife it is it's not explained at all i think we're supposed to infer that they would not let her leave although i would counter that by saying that going back in to rescue her would have made an excellent sequel do a k-1 visa man 90 day fiance baby that's what you do. Yeah, I just think there were a lot of ways to end this story, and I don't know why. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why this whole story took 30, 31 pages, and then that it was just over like that. But no, the story just gets dropped. Like that's the end of it. Sophia went to Soviet prison. The end. But like th- that, that's just the end of the comic. <laughs> the, no, that's that's just the end of it. Uh, yeah. The last page, instead of providing any context for Sophia, it's just Tim with a speech bubble telling people how to get saved like Sophia did so they can never be lonely again, too. That's sort of the thing with fundamentalism, though, is that you get saved and then that's it. Whatever happened next, like, doesn't matter. Bingo. Gavi, I appreciate you so much. And this is one reason why, because you can you eventually, I tell you, like, I, I give you all the pieces and you put them together on this kind of thing. And that's exactly what Chick was going for in this comic. You get saved and then it doesn't matter if the rest of your life is suffering in a Soviet prison because you're going to heaven. And that's what matters. At the end of the comic, like she she is literally in a Soviet prison. Like she's thanking Jesus Even though she's in the fucking gulag, she's probably going to get tortured to death by Ceausescu for failing to complete her secret mission, which I really don't understand. Like, it was doomed to fail from the beginning. Like, they this plan was so convoluted. It was not supposed to work out like this. The whole plot was, let's try to embarrass some guy's uncle because his nephew banged some romanian secret age like how is that embarrassing how how is that an embarrassment i i don't know and i feel like do you see pete davidson seeming embarrassed these days no (laughs) no not particularly (laughs) no i feel like it's i feel like that's a purity culture thing like i feel 
like that's what Jack Chick is referencing is that like I think he wanted to show us show Tim having an opportunity to reject engaging in sexual sin that I think mm. that's what he was doing here. I don't get how that's embarrassing for the uncle, though. I don't see how it's embarrassing for the uncle, but but Chick is setting up these characters who are going to be in most of the comic book series. I think he wanted to show us early on that Tim is kind of a player, like in the Christian sense. He's had lots of girlfriends, but that he's not um, promiscuous. So he's had lots of girlfriends, but he's still a virgin. That's like that's the, the implication. He's just picky. He, he knows what he wants, but he's a... Uh, uh, a high quality man so you know he he has a lot of options that's that's the the implication here that I that's see. kind of what i'm seeing i don't know why the plot was about this and not about the microfilm thing it's supposed to be a comic about getting the bible into romania but then it's not even that I mean, jim is the one who did all the legwork here let's be real he a he beat up the the russian guy <laughs> and he delivered the microfilm all tim did was like hit on sophia and like teach her about jesus and then like i don't know like edging for jesus i guess is what they did you know not <laughs> doesn't count if you right like jim did way like jim did all the heavy lifting jim could have probably handled this by himself i don't this was i don't know the, getting the bible into romania i mean it seems like some they really didn't need to send two secret agents to do this they really like, like they could have just put it in the box and sent it in the mail or like, you know, the cigarette trick work. Why not just like pack of cigarettes? One of them's the microfilm. Send I guess that the, in the mail. I guess the Bible people in America thought either the mail might get searched or um, what if the border guards were like, oh, a pack of cigarettes. Well, I'll send them through, but I'm going to take one. And then what if he took the wrong one? Or I think that maybe Jack Chick saw, like you were saying, that Mission Impossible or, you know, James Bond spy who loved me and James Bond from Russia with love. They saw the microfilm plans and they wanted to do a comic with the secret microfilm. And he just had to make up a pretext for there to be a microfilm Bible. I'm I'm very down with this theory. But also microfilm Bibles were a thing that I was hearing about growing up. Really? Yeah. And of course, you fucking know that the fundies haven't seen uh, the Mission Impossible or the James Bond movies because they're not fundy approved. Yeah, I was not allowed to see James Bond ever growing up because of all, you know, the immodest women. My husband is a Bond fan, so I've been catching up with him. I teased this earlier, but did you know that I was hearing about secret missions like this when I was a kid growing up IFB? I did not know this, but this does not surprise me at all. There were people at youth conference one year who were talking about their missions taking Bibles into China and other places. Uh, this seems like an extremely bad idea because you might come back with a uh, gay demon like Dinah did. <laughs> That's true. And I want to know, why wasn't there a chick comic that was a sequel where one of the beefy boys came back with a gay demon? <laughs> And then they had to cast it out into a ring. Yes, <laughs> we were robbed of two excellent sequel ideas here. If you know, if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to our Pride Month uh, drag brunch with Dinah Housefire. We yes. love you, Dinah. Anytime you want to come back on the show, please just message us. And <laughs> we love you so much, Dinah. If we ever get to hang out in person, uh, I would be honored to put on the gay demon ring and see what happens. She might want to give me the gay demon ring, see if it like. Turns I, I feel like that it. would be a, a better empirical test. <laughs> Does to be this honest. work? Put the put the, like. I mean, you keep making like... those jokes that I'm like. 
<laughs> See, that's the thing. Maybe we need somebody who's more straight. Do we like? What are we gonna do? I don't know, man. That's. I don't know. No, I feel like this this thing about smuggling Bibles into China at youth conference. I think it was the same year as the guy who claimed to be former Mossad. Oh my God! You had a guy that claims to be former Mossad. Yes, that tracks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I really hope that there are some people in either our Facebook group or subreddit who remember this better than I do, because this is like in the period of time where my trauma brain remembers nothing. There was a youth conference at First Baptist Church of Hammond, and I am really convinced that it was before the Polish Shaft one. So maybe 2008 or 2009, because the Polish Shaft was 2010. Uh, Is that right? Is that right? I think that's right. There was an emphasis on missions, and we were told about all of these people doing dangerous Bible smuggling and other very exciting types of mission work. There was a guy who was a Bible smuggler who was hawking his book, and it could have been the same youth conference as well, where there was a drill team on stage and a laser light show. What? I don't know. I really don't know. I was extremely sleep deprived at all of these conferences. So I I know that all of those things happened individually, like the Bible smuggling, the Mossad guy, the drill team, and the laser light show. But I have a tough time differentiating which year, which ones of those might have happened. So if anybody remembers it better than I do or has any promotional materials for youth conferences between 2006 and 2010, please let me know. I'd love to see them and see if I can organize my memories better. About this, this massage, like, was this guy actually? He claimed to be. I don't know how I would possibly be able to know for sure. I really hope that somebody will remember this guy's name or maybe the title of his book because he claimed that he claimed that not only was he Mossad, he was like the son or the nephew of one of their leaders. I wish I had a clearer memory of this. I, I hope somebody will help me out on this one because maybe we could do another uh, Paul Sand episode on this guy. <laughs> so I feel like this conversation has potentially gone off the rails just a little bit. How about we go take up the offering and then when we come back, we can talk about the second issue of the Chick comic books, which is about the satanic panic. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, 
Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. We were talking about Jack Chick and his terrible, amazing comic books. You know what, though? What? This is something that I was thinking about uh, for this comic book. Is that I think one of the biggest problems with Jack Chick's comics is the lack of a real arch villain. Somebody like Lex Luthor or Magneto, you know, a real like big bad that you know is going to be the guy. Yeah, there isn't much of a big bad in the last ones the soviet spy guys were the villain there isn't like a singular super villain like this the the beefy boys for jesus don't have a joker to their batman i'm sure that in the 70s when this came out the soviets were a great villain if maybe a little bit cliche but now that it's the 21st century you can't just make the bad guys russian anymore it just doesn't work the mystique is gone in the, so in the second issue of Chick Comics, the stakes are a little bit higher because we have uh, the up uh, the plot revolves around kidnapping, murder, blood, and crooked police and Satanists. So while there's not a singular big villain, there is some real good versus evil tension, which wasn't so present in the first one. I disagree with you because I remember when you first showed me these comics; it was over a year ago. And I think it was when we were first getting our show started. I had no idea about Satanic Panic. I had no idea about any of this stuff. Back when you were innocent and naive. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe my view of this is informed still by that kind of perspective. But now that I've thought about it a little bit more, I've come to realize that even if he isn't present in the comics all the time, I feel like Satan maybe is the the true archvillain of this story. You know, Satan is the guy. He's the responsible for godless communism. He's responsible for the ritual abuse. He's responsible for the corruption that plagues police departments. Satan is the archvillain in most of these comics. However, there is one that's just about the rapture. So there isn't really an archvillain in that one. There's also a couple of comics down the road that supposedly tell the story of a supposed Jesuit priest who is now spilling the dirty secrets of the Catholic Church. So that one doesn't quite have the Satan as the archvillain. Yeah, but if you're fundy, aren't Catholics also Satanists? Okay, touche. Technically correct, because the Fundies believe that the Catholic Church is one of Satan's most effective strategies to keep people away from actually getting saved. I believe that in our Chick Tracts episode, you told me that Jack Chick had a comic where he said that the Catholic Church was started by Satan. Yes. And and having one of his little tracts do that wasn't enough. Well, multiple of his tracts do that wasn't enough. He had to do a full two-part comic book on it as well wow yeah mm. which we're probably gonna have to talk about at some point yeah at some point when we talk about your uh ongoing conversion to catholicism i think to the extent that we're, we're not making a claim in this episode that jack chick started the satanic panic but definitely that he influenced it 
or was one voice among many that were big voices. I I think he's the same for anti-Catholic sentiment. It's not that he started it, but that he was a very vocal he was he was very vocal about his dislike of Catholics in the Catholic Church, and I think that was influential over a lot of people. I think more than anything, I understand the audience now. Like, if I were to pick up this comic book and read it and I didn't know you, I wouldn't get that Satan is the villain. But for you guys, of course Satan is the villain. Satan's always the villain. You know about this stuff, like these kidnappings, these murders, the corruption happening in real life. You, you know, you guys think that that stuff is real. And you know that Satan is the guy that's responsible for it. You know, it's just like how, here's an example, in Star Wars original trilogy, Darth Vader is only on the screen for 34 minutes over all three movies. But every time you see him in the flesh, it counts. You know that he's like there to do something. Yeah, he's he's the big bad. And I think that it's a lot of that is psychological, too, with fundies, because if you're going to be in a religious movement where being right is the most important thing and you need like absolute truth to rest your entire worldview on not just your religious worldview but the the concepts behind every decision you make in life i think if you're a human and you're trying to do that you need a supervillain yeah but i want to get into what happens in uh chick comics issue two because it hits almost every single point of the things that we talked about in the satanic panic episodes okay let's do it so the title of this comic is the broken cross And the cover is extremely ominous to begin with. It shows a police officer, uh, looks like he's wearing a county sheriff's uniform, and he's threatening a very 1970s looking man. They're in the forest, and the police officer is in his face saying, don't you tell anyone what you've seen. And that's the cover. Spicy. And then the cover, the comic starts with an acknowledgement on the first page. And I think this is really interesting and I want to read it for you. The acknowledgement says, my deepest appreciation to John Todd, ex-grand Druid priest for the authenticity of the occult information used in this story. Also to those who came out of witchcraft and have verified this material. So that is interesting because he he's naming a source for this story. And by if you name a source like an actual source and say, I know this is true, because I heard it from this guy, you are saying this is true, this is real. Yes. And Chick does not always name his sources. Um, it's pretty much just this guy and Alberto Rivera, who is the alleged ex-Jesuit priest. So this is him saying that he is really about this guy's story and really trusts this guy's authenticity. But let's let's get into the comic before we go too far down that road. Might have something to tell you about that later. Ooh. So the comic starts with a young woman hitching a ride on the side of the road. She has run away from home because her parents are trying to, in her words, cram church down me. Very 70s thing to have happen. This entire thing is extremely 70s. The clothing styles, hairstyles, even the color scheme. So she gets a ride with some strangers in a 15-passenger van. She tells them that her name is Donna and she's 14 years old. And the van is brown with a red velour interior because it's the 1970s. Is that true? I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I'm uh, the van is like light. It's like that uh, avocado green. Oh, that is very 70s. Yeah. So, and Donna is wearing a floral print crop top in capris and she's barefoot, which seems not ideal for walking down the road, but I don't know what the 70s were like. Maybe people just walked around barefoot back then. She's the type of uh, hippie free spirit kind of girl that would hitchhike 
So she's in a floral crop top and she's barefoot. Apparently. So Donna gets in the van with these strangers and then two guys from the back of the van pull her over the front seat into the back of the van and drug her. Whoa. Yeah. And then the people in the van take her to a house where there's a meeting of Satanists who sacrifice her for Lucifer and then drink her blood. That is a massive escalation. You got to be prepared. These chick comics, I told you he was going really easy on us waiting to put like the the nutty stuff and the anti-Semitism until halfway through the last comic. Once you get into issue two, th- these things go fast. Zero to ten thousand. The caption under the picture of her blood being offered to Lucifer reads, quote, This act takes place eight times a year in witches' covens throughout our country that practice human sacrifice during the Black Sabbaths. So again, Chick is presenting this as this absolutely happens eight times a year all over the country. This is 100% real and factual. Eight times a year? That's eight times a year. Wouldn't it be easier to just make it monthly? Scheduling for that must be a nightmare. I mean, you could also do it by month, like every two months and only have two fewer total sacrifices. Like you'd get to six. I I don't know. Is there a Google calendar for this? My polyamorous friends tell me that there are a lot of jokes in the community about like shared Google calendars. And now I'm wondering if the real Google calendar experts are actually the Satanists. All of your polyamorous friends are all secretly Satanists. That's what's going on here. No, but this is the days before Google calendars, so it must have been an absolute nightmare. They're all bringing like their little scheduling books to the satanic meeting. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't do Thursday the 28th. Doug has got his friend's kid's wedding. You can't even divide 52 by 8. What are you going to say? We're going to do this thing every six and a half weeks? Nobody's going to remember that. I don't. Why isn't this going by the lunar calendar? Because doesn't that seem more satanic? You could do every 28 days or you could do every other 28 days, every full moon or every other. That would be easier to remember. Because if there's somebody who you think is involved, like say you're a normie like us, and there's somebody who we think is involved in uh, blood sacrifices under the full moon, and you happen to see them on the day that the full moon is happening and they're not doing a blood sacrifice, well, then that disproves the whole thing. Maybe making it a very random number of times per year is a way to avoid detection. Oh, I see. That makes sense. But if you did it monthly or like on some kind of reasonable schedule, you could say it was a bowling club or a bingo game or something, and then nobody would question it. How do you explain... Like, no, I'm super busy uh, next Friday and then also February 6th. Yeah, but everybody who like who you think is a Satanist is in the same bowling club. Uh, like all the right. sketchy people, you know, same bowling club. Maybe it's just like a requirement that it's got to be done eight times a year, but it doesn't matter what day it is or like how often. So they just front load them. So they'll do like eight in January and then lay low for the rest of the year. So you only have to meet like once And then you can just like pretend, oh, yeah, we're going on vacation for two weeks. And then you attract less attention. Yeah, um, I I think that would be a great plan. I I feel like Satanists would be saying uh, Gary is our satanic high priest and he's got a bunch of work stuff next month. And then his 25th anniversary is in the summer and he's going on vacation with his wife for two weeks. So we're going to try to get like five sacrifices done all at once so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, look, you got to batch the sacrifices just like we're batching these episodes, man. But (laughs) Like what? Here's a question: What do Satanists do on their anniversary? Is is it like a blood orgy situation? That sounds pretty satanic. Someone in our Facebook group said that they went to a satanic wedding, so maybe we should just ask them uh, how their friends typically celebrate their anniversary. 
I don't know. I think it would be impolite to ask somebody if they engage in blood orgies. I think that's kind of usually a private thing. I think by definition, orgies aren't really private, though. No? But if you're if not, if you're like involved, but if you don't (laughs) go around posting on Facebook, like I was at an orgy this weekend. We ran out of lube. We ran out of whippets. Plan better orgies, people. You know, clearly you and I don't have the same Facebook friends. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm losing it on my own joke. Uh, I do that all the time. It's fine. <laughs> no, maybe they do send out a Facebook invite though, or or just a post, like a like a timeline post, like Julie and I are celebrating our anniversary on Tuesday. Come by for blood, sex, and Miller High Life. <laughs> don't forget oysters. Got to have oysters for your orgy. Again, clearly, you and I, you and I don't have the same Facebook friends. No, nobody does. None that. of my friends eat oysters because they're they're not kosher. Oh, right. <laughs> Would that be a problem? I don't know. I... So after the blood sacrifice, <laughs> back to the chick comics, we cut to Tim and Jim, our beefy boys for Jesus, who are driving down the road when they are flagged down and told to stop by an officer. Again, it uh, looks like he's wearing either maybe a county sheriff or a state trooper uniform. It's a tan and brown uniform. And this officer is working an active crime scene. So Tim and Jim decide to pull over and get out of the car to see if they can help with this active crime scene, which is an excellent idea for civilians to just decide to do. Yeah. Clearly, though, these men are well-respected and concerned citizens who are good Christians. And there is no way that they could possibly taint the chain of custody of any potential evidence. Exactly. So the officer... uh tells just volunteers the information that they found the body of a young woman without any blood in it so not only are are tim and jim not messing with the chain of custody or tainting any potential evidence uh this officer is also definitely not corrupting a potential jury pool by just telling random citizens yeah of course well huh i said this is the south in the 70s so who does it say it's the south I assume it's the South. There's pine trees and there's pine trees where we live. Yeah. But the sheriff is like fat and racist and a good old boy. So I assume Do I you assume know they're... anything about the history of Portland. That's actually true. Although I feel like Tim and Jim aren't driving around Portland. Although they like, would they be? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I think just rural saying... Oregon is too Christian. Then again, rural South is too Christian. I, I don't know. I well, got like, the vibe that they're in like Georgia or they're like in, you know. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's just as plausible that they could be in the PNW. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of the racism, Jim and Tim immediately figure out that this is clearly a satanic sacrifice. And they're talking to the sheriff and the sheriff gets way up in Jim's face it's clearly meant to portray that he's being racist. He's, he repeatedly, uh, CW for a, a very mild racial statement, uh, he repeatedly calls Jim boy, uh, which is extremely rude and not okay. And even like seeing that in the comic kind of got my hackles up a little bit. Uh, so the sheriff is telling them, this is a God-fearing community. We don't have Satanists here. You need to mind your business. Yeah, well, this is also, like I said, that's, I mean, calling him boy, that was the thing that made me think it was Southern. That is, that is fair, but also Oregon's history is super duper racist. So, 
Yeah, but Oregon's history is like you can't be a ra- you can't be racist if there's no black people here. Whereas the South was like, y- you know what I'm saying? The South was racist because they used to own them there in Oregon. It was just illegal for them to live there. Like, yeah, both bad, but different, different kinds bad. of like, bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I see. I see where you're coming from. Anyway, Tim and Jim decide to stop for coffee after being told off by this racist, ugly sheriff man. And when they do, the plot points just keep on coming with this comic. When they do, they see the little boy looking for his dog. He had tied up the dog to go into the store. And when he came out of the store, the dog was gone. And Tim notices that the rope was cut that he had used to tie his dog up. So it wasn't an accident. That's suspicious. It is suspicious. So Tim and Jim give the little boy money to buy a new puppy. And we see the little boy walking off to buy a new dog. And then in the background, we see his original puppy being carried off in the the 15 passenger van that kidnapped the other girl. Sadie, you are a pet owner. Yes. If somebody if somebody kidnapped Harry, but then you got money to get a new cat, would you rather have a new cat or would you want Harry back? Listen, I love that little asshole so much. If Harry got kidnapped by Satanists and somebody was just like, here's some money, go buy a new cat. I would be so mad. I feel like if Harry got kidnapped by Satanists, they would like return him promptly <laughs> because he is too evil for them. That or or he would turn up like six months later as being the leader of the local Satanist chapter. <laughs> like they, they kidnapped him because they intended to sacrifice him, but they realized that he knows more about being evil than they do. So he got promoted up the ranks really quickly. And now he's the leader. He's wearing like a little tiny Satanist cape and hat. I just pictured it in my head, except that the hat was the Mickey Mouse hat in Fantasia. That's exactly what I was picturing. <laughs> that, would be so, like, that would be so cute if he wasn't too much of a jerk to ever let us put any outfits on him. If I was a cat, I would not want anyone putting outfits on me. I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm a person that barely like people putting outfits on me. I'll, if I want to wear something, I'll wear something. But if I, you know... It's it's like in 30 Rock, you know, when Alec Baldwin has to go back to working in the mailroom and then by the end of the day, he's already up to like upper like middle management. It would be it would be like that, but with with a lot more biting. He's a bitey boy. Kinky. Speaking of him biting, I don't want people to worry about the baby. Harry is not vicious and he doesn't bite like without provocation. He's very gentle with the baby. He's just that kind of cat. He will beg you for tummy rubs. And then when you finally give in and rub his tummy, he'll turn around and bite your hand because that's Harry. So Tim and Jim's satanic spidey senses are going off big time after this dog has been kidnapped. So they decide to go find a local pastor to talk about the evidence of Satanism that they've seen in his community. See, to me, this evidence seems scant at best. A boy loses his dog and some lady got attacked by a chupacabra. I'm not convinced it's the Satanists. Well, neither is the pastor. Tim and Jim confront him. They they say animals are getting stolen. There was a body found without blood. You've got trouble in River City with a capital T and that rhymes with V and that stands for virgin sacrifices. <laughs> I thought you were going to say D and that stands for devil. You know, that might have been better, but I had to put in a music... <laughs> I had to put in a Music Man reference for Heather and all the other former former cult kids. Virgin sacrifices that works too, you know. I mean, although you know, it might be Portland now that you mention it because it is River City. People, yeah, see? people have yeah. So what happens next? Uh, okay, so the pastor was like, "That's ridiculous. We don't have Satanists. That doesn't exist." 
There is a non-King James Version Bible sitting on his desk very prominently, by the way. Mm. So Jim keeps going at this guy, and he asks him specifically, when did you receive Christ as your personal Savior? Which would seem like a slightly invasive but normal question to ask a pastor. Is this a normal thing that you guys would do? It, like, that's, it, like it, a, that's like a shibboleth. That's like... It it's a it's sh- it's throwing shade because what Jim is saying to the pastor the subtext of him asking that question is I don't believe you're really a Christian and I want you to tell me a story that's going to reinforce your claim of being a Christian. Okay. That's the subtext. It's it's shade mm. it's shady. And the pastor just blows up on him like that's none of your business. And then the pastor just, like the sheriff, the pastor just starts volunteering information. That's none of your business. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't believe that Jesus is Jehovah. And I don't believe in the virgin birth, which seems like a lot of information to volunteer in response to the question, when did you get saved? How is this guy a pastor if he doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God? I mean, there are they're like extremely, extremely, extremely progressive Christ, like, like there are probably some Unitarian Universalist pastors who would say that. Like, there are some okay, like, this, this... like very, very, very far progressive Christians who might hold one of those opinions. I, I think it would probably be not uncommon in certain very progressive Christian circles for somebody not to believe one of those three things. I feel like th- that's one of those things, though, where it's like this. This is. I thought that was like a requirement for calling yourself a Christian was, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that, that he was born from the Virgin Mary. And I believe the Bible is, aren't those three things supposed to be like the, the so like foundation? I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying to remember the bas- the Baptist um, thought stopping cliche that I've tried to get out of my head. Give me a minute. See if I can come up with it. I believe in the book of. Hope. That's it. Well, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God and salvation is the gift of God. Uh, Believing in the virgin birth is very complicated doctrinally. Some churches and denominations would believe that it's necessary for salvation. Other churches and denominations would just believe that you really should believe in it, but that if you don't, you're not necessarily going to go to hell. So that that we, we might should get into that in an episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe that sounds interesting. I, I would like to get more into that because that, seems counterintuitive to me but okay but this pastor he just immediately spills the beans he is clearly not a a very effective servant of satan because if he was he would just lie or the satanists are clearly not very well organized like if you were going to have somebody posing as a pastor you'd need to give them a whole backstory like they would need to know when they were saved they would need to have a king james bible and like they would need to know their life verse by heart and absolutely atrocious planning on the part of the satanic cabal, utter incompetence, unforgivable. Well, I think the point is that this pastor is a Satanist posing as a Christian to lead people astray. So he's like, he knows that the King James Bible is actually the word of God and he's using a different version to like get people to use that so that they won't use the King James like he's purposely being sneaky, but you're right that they should have given him a salvation backstory. That is definitely an oversight. Uh, we know he's a Satanist because as soon as Tim and Jim leave his office, he opens up a secret panel where he has a skull and a black candle and he lights the black candle. 
that is obvious that makes him a Satanist. Skull, black candle. Very Satanic. Yeah, very Satanic. Aesthetic. Yeah. So Jim and Tim (laughs) go to the library to see what books they have about Satanism. I don't know why they need them since they seem to already know so much about Satanism, but whatever. They don't get any books because the shelf for Satanism and the shelf for the occult are both empty. And the librarian tells them that they don't have that kind of books. This is a good Christian town. We don't have that kind of books here, which immediately leads Jim and Tim to realize that she's lying. Wait, so you're a Satanist if you don't want books about the occult in your library. That also seems odd to me. You would think you'd want those books where all the young, impressionable teenagers can get to them. I I don't know. The librarian calls the sheriff, who's also a Satanist, in case you hadn't figured that out by now. Everyone's a Satanist. This entire town is, like, full of Satanists, yeah. She calls the sheriff... Like Bog, but for Satanists instead of uh, goblins. (laughs) So she calls the sheriff to snitch on (laughs) Jim and Tim... And Jim and Tim are like, this place is getting too hot. We better get out of Dodge. While they're driving away, they almost hit a guy who's standing in the middle of the road. So they pull over to help him. Content warning here for body horror that f***ed me up as a kid. They realize that the guy is chewing on human fingers. And there's a note at the bottom of the page that says... Such an incident was reported in the Big Sur area in California in 1973. I, okay, I have to know more. So that... I I did some some basic checking. I think that Chick is probably referencing the Stanley Dean Baker and Harry Allen Stroop murders, which actually happened in 1970. But all the other details line up. It's true that they were Satanists. It's true that they were cannibals. And it's true that they did eat fingers, specifically. What? what Chick doesn't mention here is that they also did a metric ton of LSD. Do the Satanists not do L- LSD according to Jack Chick? This Wasn't... So this could be a number of things. Chick could have only known part of the story, or he could have been trying to downplay the drug use and play up the Satanism. I think it's the first option, because as we've talked about before, Chick was not a fan of LSD. So I think if he had known that that was a part of it, he would have loved to take that opportunity to bring it up. Yeah, I'm sure that these people did 60 trips of acid mixed with <laughs> mixed, speed. Mixed with speed. <laughs> I, one thing about Jack Chick, he doesn't like to pick a lane. He's not going to just write a comic about how Satanism is bad and they do human sacrifices. He's never going to do that. He's going to throw in all these little backhanded digs at like rebellious teens, public education, liberal pastors, non-King James version of the Bible, and corrupt government officials. Because he cannot just pick a lane. He has to sneak all of this extra stuff in there yeah like remember jello ashley hashtag never forget jello ashley never forget jello ashley (laughs) i'll be right back i'm gonna go change my twitter bio this is okay here's something i'm wondering if somebody is high and then they get saved while they're high but the commitment is like sincere does it count i'm glad you asked because i heard a lot of stories growing up about people getting saved while intoxicated and then miraculously becoming sober once they accepted Jesus. Like God magically took the drugs out of them. Bummer. <laughs> Big, but like imagine that. Imagine you're so high that you decide to get saved. <laughs> you decide to like get saved oh, yeah. by, you're tripping so hard that you decide to get saved by Jesus. And then suddenly you're like, yes, I accept Jesus. I am a sinner. And then 
bam, snap back to reality. I would be so mad. Like, <laughs> what a waste of money. What a waste of imagine look because that would probably be like the best trip of your life. Imagine if you spent like thirty dollars on magic mushrooms and now you come down and you realize that you've agreed to go soul winning on Wednesday and Saturday. And once you're saved, you're always saved. So I guess you're just like stuck with this. That's like getting married to a stranger in Vegas because you were too drunk on white wine spritzers. I knew that you had to bring up a Simpsons reference in there. We've had what So Jim and Tim, they take the finger guy to highway patrol. Oops, sorry, tapped my mic. As as so they perform a citizen's arrest on this yeah but they don't like restrain him they just put him in their car like the backseat of their car which seems dangerous he's just chilling (laughs) he's literally sitting in the backseat of their car eating fingers (laughs) which really seems like a problem (laughs) so they take him to highway patrol and finally somebody there is willing to listen to them they get a hotel for the night while he's getting processed at highway patrol and one of the the Highway Patrol guys gives them his business card. And he's the only person who's willing to believe them about this satanic epidemic in this town. While they're at the hotel, Jim asks Tim where Satan came from, which seems a bit strange because, number one, Jim is usually per- portrayed as what the fundies would call spiritually mature. So you would think that he would know this already. Wait, so Jim is out here being shafted for Jesus and he doesn't know where Satan came from. Exactly. Like the comics are full of... Jim quoting scripture and having spiritual discernment. So why is he just like randomly, hey, bro, explain this super basic concept to me. This man clearly did not think through his decision to uh, with with like all the information before deciding to become a Jesus secret agent and flying to communist Romania to deliver black market Bible microfilms (laughs) to an underground network of christians and risk being tortured to death by nikolai ceausescu yeah i feel like the under the basic understanding of where satan comes from usually like in the process of becoming a christian usually you find out about the devil before you get asked to go on life-threatening secret missions for jesus i mean at least that's the way it worked for me i don't know so number two Chick is pretty clear in calling out the racist behavior of the police officer they talked to earlier on. And we talked about Tim's whole anti-racist speech in Paris uh, in the first comic. You think like, oh, Chick is super problematic, but at least he's not racist. But then in this comic, he turns around and has the white guy always being the one that's explaining the Bible to the black man. So I don't know what to make of that, but I do notice as I'm reading through these comics that it is always Jim who gets to go on monologues about the Bible. In this case, a three-page recap of the first half of our Satan episode. Well, maybe that's because he knows that a lot of his audience is low-key racist and they don't want a cartoon black man explaining Jesus to them. Well, that's what I said in the first half of this episode, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, the vibe that I get is that Chick was genuinely at least making an effort not to be racist, uh, but also had an audience to please. But that's yeah. just that's just my guess. I also think that like he it was a situation where he was like, I'm going to try to not be racist, but he doesn't know en- like everybody that he knows is white and low key racist. So like his version of not racist is just like slightly re- less racist than everybody else. But like you know what I'm saying? Right. And it's a, it's a then that gets into like a really complicated topic. I don't know. I think. Yeah. I think he's genuinely trying, but just not quite getting there. 
The monologue ends with Tim saying that Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell were funded directly by satanic organizations to discredit God and make people not take God seriously, and that The Exorcist was made to show evil winning and say that Satan is more powerful than God. And then immediately after that, we see a panel implying that the stolen dog is getting sacrificed to Satan. Jesus, like, man. No, Satan. dog and everything? (laughs) 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 He's just on one today, man. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I, I told you, I told you that the slow pace of the first comic was not typical of these. So the next morning, Tim and Jem go to a diner where they meet a young woman named Jody who's wearing a pentagram necklace. They ask about it and she says, in response, Lucifer is a far out dude. Then they ask her if she's a witch and she says, yeah, man, I really dig the power. What does she say next? Jesus is a jive turkey? (laughs) Nobody says jive turkey. Nobody says that. And these, I don't know. Why don't you... Ask Jack Chick. Well, you can't because he's dead. But it's like black exploitation comic style. Nobody gets called a jive turkey. I feel cheated. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you come over and watch Shaft with Jonathan next time he wants to watch it so I don't have to watch it for the 12th time? So Tim and Jim give Jody a speech about Jesus, and she says that she would like to get saved, but she can't because she broke a cross and took an oath to Satan. But they say that that doesn't matter, so she gets saved. And unusually for a chick publication, this one doesn't end with her getting saved. Usually really? that's like the, 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 the end. And it, this isn't the end, which is weird. Tim and Jim, uh, after she gets saved, are going to take Jody for a drive. But she, I don't know where, they don't specify. She needs to go back to the diner to get her jacket first. So she goes in there, and while she's in there, the Beefy, boy for, beefy Boys for Jesus are trying to start their car out in the parking lot and their car won't start. So somebody, they find out that somebody has sabotaged the car. So they're like, "Uh Oh, Satanists. So they go looking for Jody, but she's not in the diner. They ask the guy behind the counter if he's seen her and he says, no, but Jim notices her necklace on the floor. Again, Jim coming through with the actual good detective work here. Jim books it, jumps over the counter, books it out the back door and he sees a van driving away. So he memorizes the license plate number because he figures they probably kidnapped Jody. So Jim and Tim call the highway patrol guy, the one guy who believes them, and he gives them the address for that license plate. I want to go back here and mention something because Jim is really the one doing all the legwork on this team. When they were in Bucharest, he's the one who like completed the microfilm mission. And honestly, if Tim hadn't even gone, then they wouldn't have attracted the attention of the Soviets. So why was he even there? B of all, like, he's the guy that beat up the bad guy. C, he's the guy who, like, jumps, who's, like, doing jumps over counters and, like, memorizing license plates and calling highway patrols and... Yeah, like, Jim is probably a bigger asset to this team than Tim is. The only thing Tim's good for is going on monologues about Satan and getting distracted by Romanian double agents. Yeah. I I don't get it. He's such a softie, man. It's like... You know, I mean, thank goodness for Jim, because otherwise I mean, Tim, this would have gotten real bad for Jody real quick. Jim is clearly the Paul Simon and Tim is the Art Garfunkel. No shame on in being Art Garfunkel. I love you, Art Garfunkel. 
what I don't understand is why they kidnapped her if she was already one of theirs, like just for talking to them. Like, what did she do? They saw her kneeling and praying in the park with Tim and Jim. So I guess they figured, oh, she's defecting from our satanic cult. I guess we better sacrifice her real quick. That way she can't talk. And also we get another sacrifice done so we can take next month off. I guess it's a win-win. You know what? I think when you sign up for the Satanist, you've got to be aware that this is a possibility that you just can't go be like praying with these guys in public or someone's going to see, especially if your whole town's Satanist, you can't be like seen praying in public. You're going to get sacrificed, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. This one seems like a huge lapse in judgment on Jody's part. Yeah, I think Jody was just like so excited about getting saved that she couldn't wait. She gets sacrificed and they uh, drink all her blood. At least she'll end up in heaven. Um, exactly. Will, yeah. So so Jim and Tim and the Highway Patrol get to the house and Jim can't wait for the backup, like the extra cops backup to get there. So he breaks down the door, which is admittedly pretty badass. And again, Jim coming through when they go inside. <laughs> The pastor and the sheriff are there in Satanist robes, and Jody is knocked out on a table seconds away from getting sacrificed to Satan. So I guess you're right about front-loading the sacrifices, because the last one was just a couple days before this. You know, maybe they've got a quota, and they've got to beat their quota. And I think, like, you know, corporate gives everybody in their chapter a kickback if they, like, beat it. You know what I'm saying? That must, yeah. You ever work in retail? Like they're like, okay, if you beat the sales goal, then everybody who works here gets three hundred dollars. Like it's a cash prize, or yeah. maybe you know they'll get like a decorative skull candle to put in their sacrifice room. What do you Remember think the the yearly Christmas presents from Satan's corporate headquarters? Oh wait, they don't. It's Satan. He doesn't It'll probably be the doesn't, solstice. Yeah, probably not Christmas. Like Halloween or solstice presents. What do you think? They, do you think they get like a like an embroidered bathrobe or a coffee cup with Satan Incorporated on it? Like, what do you think it is? I don't know. Maybe they get uh, uh, Blu-ray copies of The Exorcist, like director's cut. Um, that I or, mean, that sounds that sounds nice. Like special satanic director's cut, where it's a, a different thing than you get. Like it's a different thing than you can buy in stores. VHS of Bewitched, the entire TV series. You know that, like, yeah, that was also a big win for Satan Incorporated. Satan Incorporated, like you know, like we saw in the Chick Track, where it's Satan's boardroom when they were talking about Jello Ashley. Like, say, like Jack Chick is very clear about this that hell the devil the satanist organization it, it's run like a corporation here's another question for you so we see this satanist they have special rooms built in their houses for the human sacrifices like do they have to hire special satanic architects because we see this a lot in comics where there's a secret door behind a bookcase you know leading to a spiral stone staircase in this particular comic it looked like they were doing the sacrifices right in the living room because yeah well jim kicked down the front door and they were right there they should have hired the satanic architect because if it had been in the attic or the basement they might not have gotten caught it seems like a bad idea to do it in the living room because then you might spill blood on your carpet i assume they have tarps like satan tarps or it might be like you remember that jack chick comic or the, the, the chick track where there's the guy that has the the white tiger rug you know, it's like the inverse was, of that. It's the inverse of that. Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> 
So Jim starts quoting scripture and all the Satanists start throwing up. So the highway Jim patrol in with the heavy lifting again. Again. Jim, Jim is, is the, showing he's so useless. The <laughs> Jim is the much more useful member of this team again. So he knows about the fact that if you quote certain verses, the Satanists will throw up uncontrollably, but he doesn't know who Satan is until the day before. <laughs> so the, the highway patrol is able to come in and rescue Jody. And then we do get the classic chick comic, like the plots moving, 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 done. Like there's no like slow down before the end because the last panel uh, is it, the last page is like break in, Satanists throw up, rescue Jody. And then the last frame is Jody uh, burning all of her satanic paraphernalia? Yeah, good for her. Good for her. She got out of it. She oh, with her life. Um, I'm happy for and, her. Yeah, I'm glad she glad she lived. And then the last page is a message about how God is going to win over the devil eventually, and you better get saved and get on the right team. So this is another question: Is so quoting scripture makes the satanists throw up, and the pastor is secretly a member of the satanic cult. How does he deliver a sermon on Sunday? Or is it just that he's not using a Kim, King James version so it doesn't make him throw up? Yeah, it might be the King James thing. It also might just be that quoting scripture only works if you have the Holy Spirit's power. So since the pastor is not really a Christian, he can't have the Holy Spirit's power, so it doesn't matter. Or it could also just be because of the King James thing. Yeah. See, that was my thought. I like I couldn't imagine Jack Chick writing something with such an, a glaringly obvious plot hole. Plot holes? Jack Chick, the famous creator of Jello Ashley? <laughs> Jello Ashley. Can we get a Jello Ashley t shirt? I feel I like we could. <laughs> I feel like we'd need to do an original illustration. We couldn't use chicks. No. No, we couldn't. Can, can we make a, can we get like a Jello mold of like a Jello Ashley Jello mold for Jello yeah. shots? Yes. Oh, we man, need to make it great. like not like a big one, but like a little like an ice cube tray, like a Jello Ashley ice cube tray for jello shots. And uh, we will spike the jello shots with 60 tabs <laughs> 60 of acid <laughs> in LSD <laughs> speed. Yeah. The thing is with jello, I feel like that wasn't a plot hole. I feel like that was just a gaping lack of understanding of the pharmacological quality of medicine <laughs> whatever that word is no jack chip is pharmacologicalology pharmacology double dare you to say that to jonathan he yeah he, he knows these things i don't <laughs> jack chick jack chick is the type of man who i'm fairly certain has never used drugs in his life a because he doesn't know how they work and second of all because i'm fairly certain no one's ever offered him any <laughs> I don't know that I've ever met anyone who talks so confidently about drugs, even though they have zero personal experience. And that is <laughs> that's exceptional because I live in Portland. Because I, I mean, but everyone here has already done all the drugs, haven't they? That's why they live here. That's why they moved here. I don't know. I have known <laughs> some people just going on one about drugs that they've never done quite a bit here in Portland. People love to talk about it and make themselves seem badass. So that's the plot of the Broken Cross comic. But I want to direct our attention back to something I said on the very first page of this comic. And that is this guy, John Todd, ex-Grand Druid Priest. So John Todd is Jack Chick's source for this story. Or this source, the story is loosely based on a John Todd story. So Todd's stories about his time as a Grand Druid Priest are the basis of all these satanic events that happened in this story. 
specifically uh, the broken cross initiation ritual, the blood sacrifices, the idea that Satan uh, Satanists control local government and pastors, all of that type of specific allegations about Satanism in this story come from John Todd. So naturally, I wanted to know who this John Todd guy was. Like, what's his satanic street cred? Yeah. So who is this guy? So I Googled him. And the first thing I got was his wiki page. And the title of his wiki page is John Todd parentheses conspiracy theorist. Sounds promising. And yeah, that's when I realized that this was going to get good. Did ex-Druid priest not tip you off to that already? No, I thought because... like he's claiming to be an ex-grand druid priest, but that just means he's a little bit delusional. Like he did a lot of excuse me, grand druid, not druid. That's... I mean, I, I thought maybe this guy's just delusional. Like he did a lot of drugs in the seventies. He's just come up with this story about being involved with Satanist, and it's gone to his head. Like it's just a story. But I mean, you're saying he did a lot of drugs. I think the only person who did more drugs than uh, than John Todd in the seventies is Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards. Or Jello Ashley. Or Jello <laughs> Keith Richards and Jello Ashley are the only people who have done more drugs. Yeah, Keith Richards survived, though. Yeah, poor Jello Ashley. R.I.P. Jello Ashley. R.I.P. Jello Ashley. Hope she's in heaven. I'm so glad we got to bring her back. Jello Ashley, we got to bring her back more often. She's uh, Jello Ashley is a part of the Leaving Eden family. She listens to our show from up in heaven. She, um, yeah. Because we're her faves. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> I do think that this is a bit deeper than a drug habit on John Habits or on John Todd's part. Number one, John Todd was involved with the family. You like the cult, the famous cult, the family that came out of the Jesus movement in the 1970s. Uh, I found a transcript of a speech that he gave explaining his conspiracy theories at a meeting of the family, the cult. Whoa. Yeah, I and and, and I so I read this speech and I do not know where to start with this. I am legitimately speechless and this is the guy that jack chick is naming as a source for the story this is jack chick's number one source uh for satan related things in fact the two of them had kind of an alliance in as a you know conspiracy peddling fundamentalist christians people had never heard of him people didn't know who who this guy john todd because this guy is certifiably nuts it, no, the opposite. It seems that he was fairly well known in the conspiracy peddling fundamentalist Christian circles. And they were cool with him. They believed like they, him. What? But you have to remember, these people didn't have Google. So if he was credible to them, if he looked them in the eye and said, this is the truth, they couldn't go check his sources like I was able to. And he was saying exactly what they already believed and what they wanted to hear. So why wouldn't they believe him? So as far as the actual content of what John Todd has to say, do you remember the Green Bomb speech? Yes. Yes. The What was that guy's name? Um, uh, D. Corridan Hammond, I think. D. Corridan Hammond. Padzer was the, the Michelle Remembers guy. Hammond yeah. was the Green Bomb guy. Yeah. Um, he's the psychiatrist who with a, with a Jewish Holocaust escape survivor uh CIA, runs yes, the CIA. cia and a satanic cabal that that guy so john todd's claims make the green bomb speech seem totally normal and sane this guy claims so his his claim is founded on the claim that he was born into the number one witchcraft family in the united states the collins family that works with the illuminati to control everything and that he inherited leadership of thousands of covens of witches and many thousands if not millions of people 
until he converted to Christianity as a young adult. What? Yeah. Okay, so Sadie, so Sadie has sent me uh, the, the text of the speech, and she is not joking here. And after having read much of it, I am fairly certain that this, like, this guy isn't just Jack's, Jack Chick's source for information for this comic. This guy is probably 80% of the source for all of Jack Chick's everything that he ever wrote. So interestingly, this guy, John Todd, was converted to Christianity, he claims, partially due to a chick tract about witchcraft. So I think we're seeing a loop here because Chick said something and then John Todd believed it and added it into his delusions. And then Chick used John Todd's delusions to create more material, which John Todd signed off on. It's just a feedback loop. That's what I'm suspecting. So when I was reading the speech, I let's see, I'm seeing like Rothschild conspiracies. Yeah, so Rothschild and Jewish Illuminati stuff comes up a lot in this. For once, I wasn't surprised. I think I'm finally getting used to expecting that. Reading through, it was more like, okay, so when's that going to come in? I know it's coming. Well, I mean, he claims that the communists aren't the actually the ones running the communist party that it's actually the illuminati you know what was the absolute wildest claim in in this entire speech for me what he claims that he personally knew charles manson uh and that manson is in jail on purpose because he wanted to be and because the illuminati wanted him in jail and that manson is using his jail time to create a satanic cult that encompasses every prisoner in the united states justice system and that the illuminati will soon arm every state and federal prisoner and turn them loose on society yikes yeah. <laughs> you know what I was surprised not to find in this speech? What? Any mention of the John F. Kennedy assassination. I thought for sure that this guy would be saying that Lee Harvey Oswald was framed by the Illuminati and then the real killer was a man named Horace Feinberg, who was the nephew of the CIA agent who was running the satanic cabal. John Todd did make specific claims about the Kennedy assassination. In this speech? Oh, uh, no, I, it wasn't in the speech to the family. And in, in that speech, he just said the Kennedys were way up in the in the Illuminati, like the tier right under the Rothschilds. But in other speeches, he evidently said that JFK wasn't really dead because he had visited him on his yacht. If he was in the Illuminati, then why did they kill him? Listen, I'm not sure, but John Todd may have started the Kennedys not dead thing. <laughs> oh, my God. JFK uh, Jr. was still alive during this time. Yeah, so, JFK Jr. was like super alive because he died the year we were born, I think. I don't know which episode, which year did that Seinfeld episode come out where, uh, where it's the master of his own domain? No, he died in 1999. John Todd said, nothing happens by accident. In QAnon phrasing, they say there is no such thing as coincidence. So if basically what I'm saying is that if John Todd wasn't dead, I would swear that he started QAnon. How do you know that whoever, whatever guy started QAnon didn't just find this guy's speeches and then mine his website for content? I would 100% believe that. That's my theory. There's no way that we have time to get into all of John Todd's specific claims. So I do want to highlight two things that he said and what I think about them because there's a point I'd like to make about it. There is some potential for debunking for specific claims that Todd made about his time in the military and other specifics that he gave. So we may be able to give this guy his own episode and try to work through some of his claims. But there are two things that I want to give an opinion on as we wrap up this episode. After reading the speech, I absolutely think that we have to talk about this guy uh, like before we talk about QAnon. 
Because like all of this satanic panic stuff seems like it, it came directly from this one guy, John Todd, which is crazy because this guy is very obviously just out, out of his f-ing mind. If you told me that the satanic panic came from him as his primary source, like I think stranger things have happened. We'll have to come back and talk about John Todd. I will let you know right now that he was a diagnosed compulsive liar. So no yeah, <laughs> um, the first thing I want to address from his speech, though, is the claim that he and many well-known preachers, he name drops Jack Van Impey and Jack Chick in particular, have bounties set by the Satanists of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on their heads. And the Illuminati have told their millions of followers to kill this group of preachers any chance they get. I don't think that these preachers are particularly hard to kill. Right? If he was being hunted at that level, if he really believed, if he believed that there were millions of Satanists in the United States and that they all had been offered vast sums of money to kill him, would he be out doing speeches? Like, I mean, you could just go to the church on Sunday and be like, hey, are you the pastor? And he says, yes, my name is Brother whatever, Brother Johnson. And then you shoot him and run off. And, and like, Jack, I mean, Jack Hiles had a bulletproof pulpit because he thought the people were out to get him. But this well, John was big Todd, enough that like somebody might have been right. But this John Todd guy wasn't like he didn't take any precautions that I know of, which would lead me to think that he didn't believe his own story that much. Um, and this is this is super tragic, but there was a pastor just down the street from our church in southern Illinois who was shot just exactly like that. Some guy walked in, shot him, and tried to run away during a Sunday morning service. That's horrible. It, it was the oh. it was the worst. It was the worst. Um, that guy ended up getting uh, not guilty by reason of insanity and getting committed. But we went to uh, his funeral. His name was Pastor Fred Winters. I don't mind if you want to look it up. He really seemed like the real deal as far as Christians who are good and loving people go. His wife and kids were in the building when he was killed. It was awful. It was absolutely heartbreaking. That's terrible. It was And your dad was – that must have made you scared for your father. Yeah, I was absolutely terrified for years going to church because it was literally down the road from where we were. Uh, we went to his funeral. His mm. wife and kids, like, saw his wife and kids, and people started carrying guns to church at our church in case something happened. Yeah, I mean, when uh, you know, I mean, you went to synagogue services with it. Whenever I go, if you go to synagogue, there's either armed police or armed security there. You know, you got to stay safe because these things do happen. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, as as completely it's a, a, a senseless tragedy as. Pastor Winter's death was, I think it it goes to show that if there were thousands of satanic cultists trying to kill somebody and they know that if they succeed and if they get caught and go to jail, it's okay because Charles Manson is going to personally take care of them, you'd think that one of them would be successful sometime. So that's my thoughts on that claim. The other claim that I want to address is literally everything he said about 33rd degree Masons. What? Wait, what's this? So what's this now? So you know about about Masons, right? The charitable men's club with slightly spooky initiation rituals. Yeah, and the weird handshakes and the homoeroticism. Right, right, right. So according to John Todd, Masons are directly connected to the Illuminati. Their initiation rituals, he says, are identical to those for joining a satanic coven. And the governing board of the Illuminati includes uh, 33rd degree Masons, which is the highest degree that you can attain in the Masons. What I want to say about Masons 
is the same thing my dad always says. My great-grandfather was a 33rd degree Mason. He was also a devout Christian and Southern Baptist. And I never knew him personally, but he lived with my grandparents for several years while my dad was high school age. And my dad knew him very well. I trust my father when he says that my great-grandfather did not swear any blood oaths to Lucifer. My dad is not a Mason, but he has his grandfather's Masonic ring in his jewelry box. And I am 100% sure that my dad has neither sworn any blood oaths to Lucifer, nor will he be doing so in the future. (laughs) Sadie, now that I've found out that you are descended from a 33rd degree Mason, I have come to understand that all of this work that we have been doing to oppose fundamentalism and help people deconstruct is really just an op to promote Satanism and help the Illuminati take over the world (laughs) through the medium of podcasting. And I am ashamed that I have allowed myself to be unwittingly used as a pawn in the rise of the new world order. Oh, I've said too much. You figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need to borrow that like men in black memory eraser. (laughs) Invite you over for some lemon meringue pie and just... Yeah. Bam. Got him. Just... Right there. No, this this guy, John Todd, we're going to have to talk about him because he seems like he's actually influential, despite literally every detail of his life, making it extremely clear that he is not a person to be listened to or trusted for any reason whatsoever. Speaking of details of his life, I'd be remiss to say that not only was he a diagnosed compulsive liar, like I said earlier, He was also accused by another preacher with similar satanic claims that he had stealed or that he had stolen his testimony, which basically is the extremely Christian way to say you're a plagiarist. Uh, John Todd was also convicted of rape. He was convicted of child molestation and he spent time in a prison where the Satanist would have had a great opportunity to kill him if there was really a bounty on his head. And then he died in a mental health facility. Yes, but if they got him, then it would have been obvious, and then everybody would have known that he was right, because clearly the rape conviction was a frame-up to get him out of the way, and the fact that he was convicted in the corrupted Illuminati-infiltrated justice system is the number one way that we know for sure that he was telling the truth the whole time. He went to prison as a child molester. Why did the hundreds of Satanists there not take the incredibly easy opportunity to kill him and get their hundreds of thousands of dollars? Because in prison, he was worth more alive than dead. How? That makes that doesn't make sense. Exactly. That's how you know it's true. I, I am starting. I don't know if I'm proud of you or worried about you. It's leaning towards worry. I'm very concerned. <laughs> well, okay. So, so we're going to go over time if we keep this up. We should close the book on John Todd for right now, but we're going to put a bookmark in it because I think this guy definitely needs a full episode. I don't know about our listeners, but I am just ready to jump into all of all of this. So if I could leave our listeners with one thing, I think that what I want to say is this, that so with Jack Chick naming John Todd as his source, we can draw a direct line from the family to the satanic panic and we can already draw a direct line from the satanic panic to QAnon. and i think we touched on this last time we talked about the satanic panic a few weeks ago but one thing i want to hammer is the culpability of trusted mainstream media outlets in spreading this conspiracy and lies like this certifiable nut job and rapist and child molester john todd says something in a speech to the family like an actual cult and 15 years later, the exact same claim is being made by Geraldo Rivera on ABC 2020. 
And it's not because it's true and it's not because it's in public interest, but it's because it catches people's attention. And it's because that's what news media is now. And that's what it's been for a long time. It's a massive competition to grab people's attention. And social media hasn't made it any better. If anything, it's just turbocharged this business model. And now 45 years later, we have these claims that are made, you know, in a racist anti-Semitic comic book written by Jack Chick and sourced from a compulsive liar and cult member and rapist and child molester being not just reported as real by mainstream media outlets, but being spouted by the actual politicians who are in charge of running the country. One of the things I think that you mentioned like a while ago is that you collect these Chick tracks because you see them as like historically significant. Yeah. And like we look at these things, we think they're ridiculous. But to me, like, it's not even funny. It's not even a tiny bit funny. It's like legitimately scary. Yeah. And that's why I collect cult propaganda in general and especially chick tracts because these are historical data. These are anthropological data about the beliefs of a specific group of people. And they help us trace these beliefs from. 1974 all the way up to the current day it's it's not just and i do get a laugh out of some of the stuff in these comics but it's not just because i think it's funny it's because i think that these are potentially of historic value yeah oh man this is just like I mean, we, we start this out, we think we're going to be talking about something funny, and we're going to be laughing, and we're just like, oh, wait, this is, like, related to the downfall of our society. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did, I did get some laughs out of this. Laugh through the tears, man. That's what you do. That oh, is the leaving Eden yeah. way. Yeah, we laugh through the pain. Oh, man. I'm sorry. We're going to have to wrap this episode up. Um if you're a fan of the show, uh, once again, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, join our Facebook group, which is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can also follow me on Twitter at Hell yes Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And uh, thank you guys so much. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. But old rolling river of time Healed me in too many days No regrets, no Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.